Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us online at West Tonka, as well as Bush Lake and our chapel experience. It's fun to be together. And I'm so grateful for all of you kids who are reading from the parables during this series. Thank you for our readers today, because you're helping us, wouldn't you agree, to be in love like Jesus. By hearing the voice of kids, our hearts are softened to the truth of God's word to that given end. And this parable, the parable of the great supper, or the parable of the great banquet, as it has been called, is so relevant, it's so significant, It's my favorite in the whole series. I don't know if I should have a favorite, but I have been so excited to come to this day and to communicate this parable of the Great Supper because I think it's going to have an impact, not just for today, I think it will be for weeks, for months, and years ahead. Because today we're gonna launch a new initiative called the Table Project. I'll do that at the end of my message. I've entitled the message today, Hospitality, Who Are You Inviting to Dinner? Isn't that a great title? (laughs) Because the holidays are here. Do you just pinch yourself to think, we're almost coming to Thanksgiving, and you're thinking of that question, who am I going to invite to the table? Who am I going to invite over for dinner? And it's important because one of the most important pieces of furniture in your home is your table, your kitchen table or your dining room table. Um, I brought a picture of our table in our dining room. It's a couple years old. Carrie's got it set for the Christmas season. It's a quarter oaks on table and it's a beautiful table. We found it in the back room of an antique store when we were first married. This table has been with us for 41 years of marriage. But can I tell you it's not about the table, it's about the people. It's the people around the table. It's the stories through all of those years that we have heard and enjoyed from people all around the world who've joined us in this place. And wouldn't you agree that tables are the centerpiece of our life stories? It's where food gets served and gifts are given, memories are made. It's where problems get aired, where tears get shed, where laughter is heard. It's where prayer gets lifted, where love is expressed, and where belonging is experienced. Oh, the table is an important part of our homes. And the parable of the Great Supper, in the journey of our learning, we will see the significance of the table, but also we will see the kind of God that is our God. I want to share with you four unmistakable qualities about this God who is our God and connect it to how each one of those qualities impact our life. And first of all, we see that God is a table God. That from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find that God is doing work around the tables and homes and the temple and the tabernacle. You find in the New Testament, as you watch what Jesus does, it's extraordinary that Jesus not only shows love and intimacy around tables, but he also demonstrates power and even miracles around breakfast tables and lunch tables and dinner tables. And then he gives us the most glorious table of all, the communion table. When we come once a month to remember and not forget until he comes again by putting that bread in our hand, the significance of the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus coming in the flesh in the mess of our own backyard. And then to take that cup to remember his blood shed to give us the forgiveness of sins, that is the communion table. It is the premier table that brings us together until he returns again. And so we find that there is Jesus in the story of the the Great Supper sitting around a table and enjoying a meal with his good friends. We're told that it is a prominent Pharisee and VIPs in the community. 
Now, we're quick to think that Jesus only hung out with the poor and the disadvantaged, but no, he hung out with very influential, successful people um, in their own right. And we pick up this story, it's really quite extraordinary. One Sabbath, which by the way, one Sabbath, Sabbath becomes a very important part of the parable, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And so a Pharisee is an expert of the law, a spiritual leader, smart, successful, um, influential at every turn, but they didn't always give attention to the heart of God or give attention to the needs of others, but Jesus did. And that's the point, that we see if God is a table God, that we are invited to the table of a God who sees us, that is attentive to our own need. And it it brings up the second quality about God that I don't want you to miss, and that is God isn't just a table God, God is a healing God. That Jesus is one who, who loves to bring attention to the needs of everyone that's around the table. And there's a guy, did you notice the guy that was sitting around the table in the story? Because it stands out quite a bit. There in front of him, was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Doctors today give a diagnosis of his condition. They believe that he was struggling from dropsy, which is um, a swelling of the body that happens because of, of heart disease. And it's not that others didn't notice the guy in need around the table, but Jesus does notice the need and also he notices the Sabbath. There's a need And it's obvious to everybody around the table, but it's the Sabbath. And so Jesus asks the obvious question. I mean, table conversation with Jesus just had to be the best. He just disrupts up the whole room a little bit. And he says, do you think it's okay to heal on the Sabbath? Now that's with the Pharisees, the prominent Pharisee and the other VIPs in the room, and they say nothing because they know what the law says, that it's not appropriate to heal on the Sabbath. But I love what Jesus does. Around this table conversation, he's turning the world upside down for all of us because this is a kind of leader in Jesus who takes the posture, if you see something, say something. If there is a need that you see, then meet that need. That's the kind of leader that Jesus is. So now he's captured their attention. He's put him on the spot with a question and he, he gets real practical. And he says, for all of you, we're having this table conversation. He said, if one of your children falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you rescue her? And let me ask you, if one of your children falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you rescue her? Yeah. So they're in this spot going, what do we do now? Because you know they're thinking the same thing. Of course I'm gonna rescue my children. So now Jesus has disrupted everything, so what does he do? He heals the man. And they're all around the table. Now, I I can't even imagine. It had to just be electrifying. He performs a miracle during that dinner conversation. He sees a need and he does something about it. And that's the point that we find in Jesus that he is this um, God who is a table God, but he is a healing God. And if he's a healing God, then we get to be invited to sit at his table and he is attentive to our need. By the way, what is your need today? You probably have more than one. Wherever you are tuning in, you can at least name one and you probably have multiple needs today. He's attentive to your need. 
And he offers a promise of a healing touch in some measure into our lives because he's a healing God. So they continue the conversation. Already things are disrupted. It had to be a buzz. And he continues to teach. And he teaches them a lesson about serving others, about being there you are kind of people versus here I am kind of people. And he says something that is really quite profound. He actually speaks about what happens to a person who chooses to see a need and to meet a need as Jesus himself does. He says that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That day is coming. At the resurrection of the righteous, you're going to be repaid. So he's giving a note. I I don't know if it's to motivate them. I don't think that's the primary incentive. It's to be more like God, and that is to see a need and to meet a need because in the heavenly realm that is still before us, there will be at the resurrection reward for people who are there you are kind of people. This isn't a message about rewards. The scriptures say a lot about rewards in the heavenly realm. Just know that if you are seeing needs and meeting needs, there is a reward for you. And one of the guys, the experts of the law, sitting at the table is going, cool. Because he sees himself going to heaven. He's kept the law. He feels like he's really earned the privilege of going to heaven. And this is what he says. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. (laughs) There's going to be... A, a repaying, a reward for the giving that I've, I've, I've demonstrated to other people. Well, this is so blessed. Bring on the feast in the kingdom of God. And he assumes two things right here. And by the way, you've heard this from me before. May I say it again? Assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. And in our time and place, we could use a corrective in that way. And so did he. He assumed two things. First of all, that heaven was for the chosen Jewish nation of God who kept the law. And secondly, that it was a future hope, um, that that's something we look forward to in the life still to come. And in that story long, it's here that Jesus tells the story of the parable of the Great Supper. So everything up until this has been set up for the parable of the Great Supper. And in it, he shares another quality of God concerning the kind of God that is our God that you don't want to miss. That God is not only a table God and a healing God, that God is a now God. That the table God that is ours has set the table for now. God's table for the great supper is a now table. And so he has set the table now for us. And look at the clarity of it in Jesus' story. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet And he invited many guests, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. I love this picture. He's bringing this clarity to the two things. First of all, clarity to heaven isn't just for the chosen Jewish nation, but the sequence of the invitation as it unfolds is that It's an invitation that's going to go to everyone. And everyone who says yes to the invitation to sit at the table of God and to belong to his family through faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to be a great feast. And secondly, heaven isn't just in the future. And if you think about heaven as just being something down the road after this life, he's bringing the corrective to you. He's saying it's in the now. Come, for everything is now ready. And I just love that God uses this picture of a banquet to communicate belonging to God, don't you? Because a banquet is a feast. 
and feasts are fun. And belonging to God is a happy thing in your life. Now, not just in the life to come. That's what he's giving clarity around. And in this parable, you find that there are invitations that go out. And there's a sequence of invitations. The first invitation, again, goes to the Jewish nation whom he called and chose to be a precursor to the coming of the Messiah. And we find in the storyline that the servant goes out and he's saying, it's starting. I mean, understand, they had been waiting and anticipating a Messiah to come for 400 years. I mean, they were ready for this invitation and so many fronts. But then the servant comes out and he says, it's starting. It's time now, come, for everything is now ready. And you can imagine the excitement about that and that everybody would just say, yes, I'm gonna show up, I'm going to be there, but is that what happens? No. We find that there is a humble step back now that he's truly here, and they begin to make excuses. Can I review them for you again? One said, well, I just bought property, land. I need to go check it out. And another said, well, I just bought four oxen. I I need to go to work. And the other said, I just got married. It's just not a convenient time. Can you imagine God preparing the table for all of these years? And he sends out this servant and says, it's starting now. And then for feeble excuses to come onto the table. But God is undeterred. He's going to throw a feast. And if you don't want to come, He's saying, others will. And that's the point of it. We find that this God is not just a table God and and, uh, this God that is a healer God, that he is a now God. And if he's a now God, then he's saying, you can come to the table now. Say yes to the invitation to the table now. Don't delay. Don't wait for just that perfect time in your life. Um, Guard your heart from excuses to think that your stuff in your land to think that your work or that your relationships are more important than this invitation. He's not invalidating that the things that we have, the relationships we enjoy, the work that we do aren't important. They certainly are. They come from God himself. But we, we don't want those to be a priority over this incredible invitation to come to sit at his table, to belong to God, in this case, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the point that he makes. The invitation is just too good. To be true, it feels like. It's, it's too amazing to be refused. And so we stand in awe around the kind of God that is our God, that he is an includer God, not just a, a table God and a healing God, but an includer God, that, that this beautiful God has given an invitation to everyone, that everyone is included. And the feeble excuses just don't add up. And in fact, he goes on to say, this in response to the servant. Go out quickly to the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The detail of the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame while sitting around this table having dinner with the prominent Pharisee and the VIPs is a detail you don't want to miss. Because if you know the story of the New Testament, the Pharisees had given a name to the types of people that are here stated. Do you remember what the name is? That they are unclean, unclean. Therefore, more deserving of a curse of God than the blessing of God. But Jesus turns it all upside down and says, no, that all people are included for the blessing that God wants to give to all of society. 
And so the servant goes out, he gives the invitation, the table is set, and by the way, you're included to the poor, the lime, and the blind. And what, what do you think they said to the invitation? That, that's a collective question. What do you think they said to the invitation? Yeah, you bring it on. There's a feast and a party and I'm invited to it. Count me in. And they made their way. You've heard me say this a few times through the years as well. And I really believe it. Jesus comes to us through the poor. You have to think about that. What did the poor do in response to the invitation? They said yes. So may we be yes people to the invitation that in includes not just the poor and the blind and the lame, the marginalized people, but it's an invitation to everyone. It's the next sequence that you find in the invitation. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them. Oh, that's a strong word, isn't it? Compel them, you don't want to miss this, to come in so that my house will be full. That God is throwing a party, it is a big feast, and he wants his house full. That is, he puts himself in a place to want to be sure that people would understand that his space is available to everyone who is invited and that everyone is included, so just say yes to it. In fact, you find a reinforcement of the scope, the span of this invitation in Matthew's gospel. It says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Man, I get pumped up when I read this, but I love history. So to hang out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sounds like a cool Friday night to me. <laughs> I'm gonna take that in. I get to hang out with these guys and learn the history and the story and the great detail. I can't wait for that day. I'm excited about it. And I get to sit with people from the families of the earth, the ethnic diversity that takes place in culturally diverse um, societies all around the world. From the east to the west, they're gonna be there. I mean, I'm glad eternity is a long time because I wanna connect connect with the layers of that. And why is that important? Because our inclination is, and I have it too, I want to be with my mom and dad again. I want to be with my grandmas and my grandpas. And I want to be with my friends who've unfortunately passed before me already. And that's all part of it. But it's so much more. It's a multi-layered, multi-colored kind of um, profile that you have of the heavenly realm that is still to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, come for everything is now ready. That even though there's hope and anticipation about that day, he's saying, pay attention to now. Jesus brought heaven on earth now. Come, for everything is now ready. Enjoy the benefit of heaven even as we come together. And he wants everyone to say yes. No, where are you in that? Have you said yes? He wants everyone to say yes. But we know many will say no. And many will say not yet. Many will say, I've got so much stuff to take care of. I've got work to do. I have important people in my life I just need to hang with. And before we know it, we let people and things, places to go and people to meet become preeminent over this glorious, sacred invitation that comes from Jesus himself. And so we want to say yes, because you don't want to say no. And especially when you see the last line of the story. This is what Jesus concludes the parable of the Great Supper with. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And I sit in that and I think there's a common sense application. If you don't want to experience heaven now, 
What makes you think you're going to want to experience heaven there and then? He set the table now. Say yes. And the unfolding glory of God will be with us in the future. It's a now experience and one to be enjoyed forever and ever. And I'm grateful for that. So here's the point. If God is an includer God, that means we sit at the table, we know that we're included, we pinch ourselves, I'm sitting at this table, and something happens to us. We become includer people. That is, the taste of the banquet is so sweet, the presence of Jesus in your life, that you can't keep it for yourself. You don't indulge it just for yourself. There's something in you that wants to speak it out to others as well. Your neighbors, your family, your friends, your colleagues, who have yet to say yes to Jesus. And you know they have, said, have yet to say yes to Jesus. And the, the invitation that comes to us when we sit at the table is go, oh, all of a sudden, I want to go tell others of the same thing. If God is a table God, I want to bring up the final point. Not the kind of God that God is, but the kind of people we are. God's people are table people. So we become table people. Hospitality. The invitation to welcome people into our homes, to sit around our tables, to open up our lives is a means for God to help people who have yet to know him understand his invitation to his table. That's the power of hospitality. Paul reminds us that hospitality is the mark of the early church. And it's the mark of our lives as well. In fact, in my own journey, hospitality opened my heart to say yes, to move at 18 years of age from an intellectual ascent. I believed in God. I believed Jesus Christ was the son of God. I believed Jesus was the savior of the world, and I had my hands firmly on the steering wheel of my life. I didn't understand that the mind and the heart have to work together, and I had to release my hands from the steering wheel and invite him to be my Lord and my Savior, that he would lead my life versus me thinking that I was in control of my life. And it was hospitality that would open that up. There was a, a girl my senior year in high school that I was quite honestly smitten with. She was an accomplished pianist at 18. I just really wanted to ask her out, mustered up the courage, and I said, would you like to go dancing on Friday night? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, I don't dance. And I go, well, would you like to go out and uh, go to a movie on Friday night. And she said, no. She said she doesn't go to movies. And in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, if you don't go dancing on Friday night or go to a movie on Friday, they ain't a whole lot more for you to do. So I was just kind of left in that place. Okay, that means you don't want to go out, which is fine. I'll do it. She said, I didn't say that. And then she invited me. She said, come to my house on Friday night for dinner and be with my mom and dad and get to know them. And I thought to myself, eh. <laughs> not my idea of a first date, okay? Just, I go, eh. But I wanted to weigh in to the door, so I said yes. So I went that Friday night, the door opens, and I'm welcomed by her brother, six foot seven. <laughs> the statement is made early, they know about my family. And they invite me in, it's her brother, her mom, dad, her two brothers, and her, and then we have chit-chat, we finally sit around the table, I'll never forget it. He opened up a Bible, and he started to read from the Bible. I had never experienced that before. And I was so blown away. Awkward, but he read the Bible. And then he said, let's join hands together, and we'll pray. And I was strategically placed between the two brothers. <laughs> 
even more awkward. Now I'm holding their hands. Everything in me wants to hold her hand. And we're there, and he prays. Can I just say, I grew up in a broken home, and my mom was an amazing woman. She was a cocktail waitress, and she worked from 2 in the afternoon till 2 in the morning. She worked so hard, so proud of her. I loved her so much. And she made a difference in all of our kids' lives. But to sit around a table like that, we had a crock pot. We were all involved with athletics, and we came home, did our own thing. We were just very independent. But I can relive that moment as if it is today, as we joined hands around that table and he prayed. And I said to myself in that moment, this is family. And I didn't want it to end. Her mom and dad would be the ones to influence me to understand how to move from an intellectual ascent to take the hands off the steering wheel of life and let Jesus be my savior and Lord. And it changed everything in my trajectory. And I'm not alone. That hospitality wouldn't just bring me to that great given place. It would bring the world. Um, we've talked about the kaboom movements of God in history. When there's an acceleration of gospel sharing and church planting. That in AD 100 there were 20,000 Christ followers. And in AD 300 there were 20 million Christ followers. Like what happened from AD 100 to AD 300? Hospitality happened. People opened their homes. They shared their tables. They shared their lives. And they were the means for the gospel to go from one village to one town to one country and nation to another country and nation until Christianity became the fastest growing faith in the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. The power of hospitality is there before us. And so we are involved right now with this connection of hospitality and advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been working um, for months now on this initiative called The Table Project. Quite simply, it's an invitation for you to open your homes and your lives to people who are different than you, specifically to the ethnically diverse communities in our, our Twin Cities. And our partners in our near ministry are opening their homes as well and believing that leaders will set the pace. So our leaders in the various churches, ethnically diverse churches in our community are opening their homes. I was in a home in North Minneapolis a month ago. Carrie and I opened our homes a couple of weeks ago um, to 10 of our partners and their spouses. I've got a picture here of this gathering. We had the sweetest time of uh, coming together in our home. And of course, they're pastors, so they're very comfortable not only just praying, but we sang together. It was beautiful. In the middle there, you'll find um, Sena de Gaga. Sena is our near director leader here on our staff, and I want you to hear how God used her life and the table in her life as she's been working with our partners on this project called The Table Project. So would you give a warm welcome to Sena de Gaga, and come on up, Sena, and be with me. As, uh, as we converse together. Let's grab a chair there, we'll pull it up. And Sana has been with us for about one year on our staff working with Pastor Ben Griffin in the Near Ministries. We're grateful for that. First of all, just introduce us to your family. Yeah, first of all, it is an honor to be here. Thank you for, uh, for the introduction, Pastor Joel. Um, I, my family comprises of my husband, Hika, my two amazing kids, 14-year-old uh, Ari, and one that just turned 13. His name is Abe Buma. I love it. And you met your husband in Ethiopia. You've been in the United States since you were eight years of age. He was in Ethiopia, so how did you meet him? Um, I went back 
to, for, a, uh, for actually a wedding and a visit, and uh, I met him when I was 18. We were engaged after three weeks, and we were married at 18, yeah. 20 years later, still, it's working. <laughs> I, I, as a parent, I'm having issues with this scenario. I really have. I mean, your mom and dad had to be just a little bit lit up by three weeks later, you're engaged? To say the least. They were um, <laughs> very, it was a daunting experience for them. <laughs> oh, amazing. What does our direct ministry, our near ministry do? What, as a director of our near ministry, what is your job about? Really, I am responsible for executing uh, just the near ministry strategies, and it's walking along, partnering and planting ethnically and cultu culturally diverse uh, churches in the Twin Cities. Yeah, so we have a here, near, far um, mission, our vision for those that might be newer today, what we call a 10-10-10 strategy. The middle 10 is to, by God's grace, partnering with other indigenous leaders in the Twin Cities, work together to plant 100 churches by 2028. And we currently have 34 churches in our pipeline. And God is just blessing that initiative, your work, and the work of our partners as well. Well, God uses hospitality in our lives, and he did yours. Yes. To even being rescue to your family. It's an amazing story. Her story really could be made into a Hollywood film, and to tell it in seven minutes or eight minutes just, just seems like an injustice, but I, I met with her just a, a couple of weeks ago, and we spent an hour and a half, and I couldn't stop listening. It was so beautiful how God has worked in it, but I want you to hear at least a glimpse of the story. I'm going to tee it up a little bit, and you can pick it up from there, but her mom and dad in Ethiopia um, had been married, and then the communists came in and changed the whole world order. Her father, or her mother, by the way, was a nurse and care provider, and her dad had two jobs. He worked as the translator for German missionaries, mm -hmm. but then also had a covert job that even your mom was not aware of at the time. He worked with a resistance group because the communists had come in and they had taken the land of the people, including your property, and removed the right and freedom to worship. So he worked with a resistance group to restore land to the proper ownership and to restore the freedom of worship. Could I just say, be thankful we have the freedom to worship the way we do every week, amen? What a gift it is. And unfortunately, your dad got found out by the government Correct. And it puts you in a really awkward place. So you pick up the story. What happened to your dad and what happened to your mom? So my, mother, uh, my father's cover was blown and he had to escape. And he escaped um, to ensure that my mother was not implicated in the situation. Um, so he fled on foot, uh, walked uh, a little over two weeks uh, to escape to the neighboring country of Sudan, surviving on ginger and garlic. Wow. Yeah, and my mother... Um, did not know what was going on as she was working. The government forces came and uh, arrested her. So my dad's plan failed, unfortunately. Yes. She was thrown in jail. Uh, she was taken to a village that was about four to five hours away from her home. And really, she was also three months pregnant and physically, emotionally, and just in trauma. Yeah. And she is now taken to jail and she's left there in a jail more like a um, a hole. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where the table comes in. So your mom's abused physically, living in a horrible condition, and a table gets set. Explain that first story. So a beautiful, just a, a beautiful woman uh, in the village heard about my mother and what was she was going through, and 
decided to um, speak with the prison guards to get some favor and allow my mother to come during the day to have meals and to be, and to be taken care of by this lady. So my mother now, mind you, is distraught. She is really full of shame, um, hurt physically, emotionally, and she comes to the table and this woman speaks words of affirmation yep. and just really not only provides a meal, but a, a space for her to be loved and welcomed. And then she'd have to go back into the prison at night. Correct. So this happened for quite a while. How yeah. long was your mom in the prison? Until she went into labor um, with her child. And a provision was made there, too. Yes. Um, missionary doctor that she was working with ended up um, negotiating her release when she went into labor and got her back to her village. Yeah. And she was able to have the baby there. Yes. And who was the baby? It was me. Oh. <laughs> And your mom was in this place of giving you a name and a bit conflicted by that. Yes. My, so my mother was thinking of what to name me, and she was going to name me Rakina, which means really pain, hurt, sorrow. But then she decided to change my name to Sena, which means um, memory, in memory of your father, of the first love that I have lost. Yeah. Wow. Everybody say her name, Sena. Sena. I want you to be familiar with it. This is her first exposure to our whole church family, even though she's been on the team for a year. But God is using Sena as part of God's work in the broader Twin City area. Your generosity helps that to happen too. We're grateful for that. But that's just one table initiative because there's an opportunity that opens up for you to actually leave Ethiopia and get united with your dad. Oh, your mom still thinks your dad is dead yes. at this point. So how does this news get communicated? So my father is resettled in the U.S., and he makes connection. Because the communist government is still in charge, he's not able to make a direct connection with my mother. So he works with the German missionaries that he, has, um, he, he was partnering with before and connects with my mother and is sending funds and is trying to bring us to the United States to to join him, but that is not, we are not able to make that happen directly. So the German missionaries are involved in bringing us to Germany. We had a stay of nine months in Germany before we resettled here in the U.S. to um, meet with my father for the first time. And that is the place where I really understood that God is a table God and his people are a table people. Um, I had an opportunity, we were welcomed into I'll give you three different, um, three different instances of where I experienced the table. It was in the missionary doctor, the German missionary doctor, who invited us into their home. We first settled there in Hamburg, and they gave us the clothes on their back. They welcomed us, they loved on us, and didn't make us feel like we were less, but we were actually the children of God united at the table. Yeah. And that was a time of really just being welcomed and loved. Yeah. And then there is one that I will never forget. This, this is an elderly, sweet German lady. We were moved into a home um, after we got there, and this was in a village of Hermansburg, and this is a place where really it's, you could really, you, I don't think you can find a colored person near and within 100 miles, yeah. but they were, um, the neighbors were amazing, but this lady, we did not have a common language that we spoke, but we spoke in sign language almost, and she invited us into her home. We were able to, without having a language to communicate with, we shared meals. 
And she shared, we saw the spark and the love of God in her eyes and felt again welcomed and loved and we, we had a space that we were able to come into. And the third? Spaghetti dinners at um, one of the reverend's home and he was uh, a missionary into Ethiopia as well. And every Wednesday night, he would make us um, spaghetti meals. The family would welcome us uh-huh. and it was a joy. It felt like family. Yep. And, and, and to, for me, that has framed and formed my view that we truly are a table people when we are God's people. Yep. Changes your whole view of humanity. Absolutely. And that's what's happened. So now you've been working with us for months on this table project. And we want to invite you into something that we think will go on for weeks and months and years ahead. We think it has the potential to change the shape of the interface of the Christian community in the Twin Cities. And what is the invitation? By the way, there are two phases. There's a first phase coming up to Thanksgiving and a second phase that's ongoing, but you put the words to it. Yes, so the first phase is it's inviting international students that are away from their home, far away from their families, to make space at your table for them to come and join you. So the ask is, will you make room for them? And then the other piece is also the unfolding ask of going into another person's home that is ethnically, culturally diverse, and also being willing to go into their home or being willing to invite them into their, your home as well. Yep. So our partners are doing the same thing. They're inviting people into their homes of ethnically diverse mm-hmm. backgrounds, as well as including us, so we can go into our partners' homes or they can come into your home. So we have how it's gonna happen, and we'll put this up on the screen, is the table project. It says, will you open your home and share your table? That's the question. Two phases. If you have possibility to open your home coming up toward Thanksgiving or for just another meal, it doesn't even have to be Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. an international student could spend their whole time here in education and never be in an American's home. So we want to set the table for that. So you can just go to the QR code if we could put that back up again. And uh, just want to point that out. The QR code is right there available, accessible to you online. It's there as well. And just say, yes, we would open our homes. Or would you be willing to open your homes in an ongoing way? We may not even be able to connect you right now. We're early into the project. But if you're willing to say, yes, I'd like to make my home available. So when the right time comes, we'll make the connections and start sharing our tables to see what God would do. Doesn't that sound exciting to see what God would be about? I would love it if you just say, yeah, it sounds really exciting. (laughs) Would you join me in thanking Sada for being part of our story? Thank you, Sada, so much. So grateful for you, our colleague, Chip. Would you stand and we'll pray together and uh, take a moment. Wow. So God, thank you for being a table God. Wow. You should give this invitation to everybody, that everybody's included. And Lord, may we guard our hearts from feeble excuses and see the wonder, stand in awe that we have received this invitation and may our yes be declarative. And for those who are here who have yet to make a declarative yes, may be the, this be the day that begins the journey of what it means to belong to God in a way where you experience his presence and his provision in every way. And because you're a table God, make us a table people and a table church. We're praying for another kaboom movement in our own twin cities through hospitality, inviting people into our homes to sit around our table to enjoy a meal that they might in turn maybe even hear your invitation to sit at your table. 
we give thanks in Jesus' name.